Okay, let's have a go, please. Oh, we have a new method. It looks like a poker game. It, it just look, it looks like bingo. All right, uh, well, let's pray and then we'll chatter. Here we go. It's Advent 1. It's New Year's Day in the church. Um, let's pray. Lo, your king comes to you, triumphant and victorious as he, Zechariah 9.9. 9. Almighty God and Lord, we beg you, come to us with all your power and help us who are sinners and troubled. Send us your helper and our savior that he may enter into our hearts and with light illumine our night through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Uh, if you haven't been to church yet, we've got the wrong gospel reading. It wasn't Pastor Nelson's fault. Um, the publishing house put out the wrong gospel reading, and we just trusted them. We'll never do that again. <laughs> the trust part? I don't know. It was so strange. I mean, we just took the, we take it right off the colored sheet every week, and it was the wrong week. So sorry about that. We'll, um, It'll be okay, though. Jimmy, my favorite guy. I love you, Jimmy. Uh, if you give some money, it will go to Christmas sharing. Christmas sharing, um, what they need to buy with your money is tomatoes, peanut butter, toilet paper, and and macaroni and cheese and underwear. Now, if you, you can give money. If you don't give money, you can certainly bring those things in as well, my guess. Uh, men's or women's underwear, both kids. What are we looking for? Everybody? <laughs> There's pretty much nothing I can say that will keep me in the ministry after that. God bless you. It's good to, it's good to love each other. Good for you. Uh, thank you very much. Be generous at, at uh, now you know that we're going to, just so you know, you know we're going to do Grace School right after this, so you're going to hear us go on and on about Christmas sharing, then we're going to stop for Christmas, then right after that we're going to do Grace School, same drill, different group, which is great, because you get everybody focused on the same thing at the same time, and it's a lot of fun. Um, I don't know, Carol, by my estimation, you're doing pretty well with stuff so far, it looks good down there, looks pretty good, So, but keep going, because you know it doesn't go all the way to Christmas, if you check your schedule it is not this week, but the next week, right? So we have two weeks left. Go ahead. Next week. Okay. Oh, that'll be perfect. After, uh, yes, good. That's fantastic. When, when are you going to, like during the 9.30 to 10 period, is that when you're going to do that? Like when people have coffee? Okay, so good. If you want to go down and see all the stuff that's come, that'll be a lot of fun. So there you go. Uh, yes, sir. The missing one. Yes. Where is it? Uh, I think it went to Hunks and Punks. Hunks and Punks. Holy cow, that's already being advertised? That's a January thing. I know it is. It used to be, I think it used to be in Okay, good. I, ooh. That's the sort of thing where people get hurt. People my age, with my size underwear, tend to get hurt in that particular game. Because there's always some guy with a waist that's 10 inches smaller than me who thinks it's tackle football game. So... Um, well, that's right. I don't know what that means. I, I didn't even, gosh, I don't know. Somebody who's a hunk or a punk, fill me in, okay? So we'll, we'll let you know. That's a football game. All right, I think it is the wrong day. We'll get it for next week. We'll take a look at it. All right, finally, you can tell how far behind we get on things. you got a sheet in front of you with the date on it, the 30th of October. So that's okay, though. Uh, now, was anybody in the 830 service? Were you in the 830 service? 830? Yeah. So that, 8 o'clock. 8.30, 8.30, yeah, that's right. 
Um, that's about the right level of kid noise. So I'm just, I'm just telling you that I'm just backing up on what we talked about last week. That's about the right level of kid noise. What you heard was, you know, it's like, those, it's like the things when you speak in, and all of a sudden it spikes up and then it comes back down. We had a few spike ups, but what you found is that within about 15 or 20 seconds, um, things got calmed down. And then there were a couple of times when it was just dead quiet, which is always, that always tells you that the kids are engaged. When the kids are dead quiet, it happens usually at the forgiveness of sins. It happens often at the verb point. They sort of, they can feel that you're being more reverent, and they become more reverent too. So that was about right. Uh, so parents, congratulations. We don't have a, we don't have Sunday school today because we have a lot of teachers who are away for the long weekend. But um, just remind parents, that's what we want, and that was about the right feel. So here's where we've been so far. Um, we're in this new space. How are you going to build a new space? You want to build it in a welcoming way. So, you know, rather than having a flat wall, you have a wall that sort of indents. So you sort of, you're sort of pulled into that. And immediately when you get there, you realize you're going from one place to another. You have these huge doors. And actually, if, I don't know if you've ever looked at them, but the door handles are modeled. They're a model from a Byzantine cathedral. So, you know, those, you got big poles and you got a big door. And everything's telling you you're going from one world into another. And that's why the font is right there. You're crossing a threshold. You're entering a door. You're going from one land to another land. You're dying. You're rising. And everything is new. And that's why the church, you know, we should, um, in one sense, you know, voters' meetings are the most dangerous thing. In another sense, they're the ultimate test, which would be whether or not, you know, when you put a group of people together and they can say whatever they want, (coughs) whether they say the Jesus thing. That's a, you know, so in, the, in a way, it's the most dangerous thing you can do. In a way, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a great test for everybody to say, we're another kind of person and we're in a new world. That doesn't mean you stay in there. We kick you out at the end of every hour and say, go out into the world and be the body of Christ. Pastor Nelson had that at the end of his sermon today. You know, you get pushed back out into the world to do some good. So that's as far as we've gone. You're a new person. This is a new place. And yet we're not all huddled here together. We go out into the world um, to do some good. The next thing would be, and now I'm going to just be right at the top of the page here, <coughs> there are different kinds of churches. You know, there are churches that are, um, you know, there are, there are churches that are, that are a mile wide and an inch deep. Um, I often want to ask, so there are churches that are like this. That's not us. You know, we're church, we're churches more like this, or maybe more like this. I don't know, depend on how you like your grass. I'm always interested when people are so concerned about the numbers. We, there's, always, there's always somebody who's calling saying, what was the attendance last week? Or, you know, or, or sort of citing the attendance. You know, attendance was down 3% in September. People get all nervous. Then it was up 6% in October. But the same people don't call me back. And I always wonder, 6% annualized would make us the fastest growing church in the Missouri Senate. So, um, <laughs> you know, it's what day you take your numbers. But I always want to ask people why they care about the numbers. And I, I'm always curious, it usually comes out, it's very rarely anymore that they're afraid that people are going to hell. It usually has something to do with the light bill, uh, just to be honest with you. Um, I try never to think about the light bill. That's why John Crow is here. He thinks about the light bill. You know, uh, that's his, yes, he does. And that's his wife who thinks about the light bill. You know, uh, even if he doesn't say it out loud, that's John's job is to think about the light bill. Here's the thing, we're not trying to... It's easy, it's easy to get new members. It's easy to get members. 
It's easy to be a thousand-member church. You could be a thousand-member church by Christmas if you wanted to be. It's easy. What's very hard is to have disciples. It's hard to be a disciple. It's easy to be a member. It's hard to be a disciple. And so if you've ever been in the new members class, the catechumenate, the first thing we say is, we don't need any more new members. We don't want any more members. We want disciples. We don't want names on a page. We don't want people who just use us occasionally, who show up at Christmas and Easter for, for a marriage and for a burial. We don't want that. That's not what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to correct, absorb, move, change, transform every aspect of your life. That's what Jesus came to do. And salvation is the first part of that, but as we're just going to read, the point is maturity. The point is so you say your prayers every day, and if you don't say them, it's like missing breakfast. The point is that you tithe and give alms, and you don't even notice. You know, That's just what people do. That's just your life. You know, the point is that you speak kindly to people even when they irritate you because you know that every, every challenge is an opportunity to exercise virtue. And it also means you don't take advantage of other people because they're willing to indulge you. It's maturity like your marriage, maturity like your family, maturity like your work. Maturity in the church is what we're aiming at. We're not trying to get names on a page. We're not trying to see if we can have the biggest number what we're trying, biggest number of members, we're trying to see if we can get the biggest number of disciples. So, for example, at St. John, we have this crazy thing where about 50% of our members go to Bible study sometimes. 50% of the people who come to church on Sunday go to Bible study during the week. That's an off-the-charts number, kind of nationally or in the church. That's an off-the-charts kind of number. But that's what we're looking for. Other churches can do other things other ways, and we try not to say anything bad about them, and we rarely even reference them. We're not another church. I'm pastor of this church. You're a disciple in this church. This is the church we need to worry about. This is our church. Churches are different. In this particular church, what we're aiming at is maturity. We're not aiming at numbers for the sake of numbers. We're not aiming at numbers to pay the light bill. We're not aiming at numbers so that when we turn in our synodical stuff, our graph looks like this. What we're aiming at is that people live as Christians. So we would want the most number of people who had morning devotions. We would want the most number of people who tithe. We would want the most number of people who go to Bible study. We would want the most number of people who help with Christmas sharing. That's what we want. Coming on Sunday morning is just the beginning of your life, not the end. That's the bare minimum, first commandment, you know, third commandment. I'm your God and meet you there on Sunday. That's the bare minimum for Christianity. Coming 52 weeks a year is the bare minimum. That's just like, we just still know you're in the church. As, as Paul regularly says, outstrip other, each other in doing good. You know, do the best you can. So I give you the sheet here, and that's going to go, the reason that you need to know that is because that, that goes to pace, which is we started to pick up. I'm not going to live that long. You know, you're not going to live that long. You, if you're lucky, you're going to get 70, 80 years, if you're lucky. You know, I got, you know, I got 10, 15, 20 years left. The question is, how are you going to use those years to make an impact for the kingdom of God? That's the question. The question isn't whether you, you know, show up 30, 30 Sundays out of 52. That's not even a question. The question is, 
You go here, you're nourished by the Eucharist, you're part of the kingdom of God, you live out your baptism. How big of a footprint can you make in the world? That's the question. That's the Jesus question. It is all over the Gospels. Leave everything. Let's go. Can I bury my father? No. We've got something to go. We set our faces toward Jerusalem. We go to the crucifixion. We live with the resurrection. We live as people from the Eucharist after Christ has ascended. That's what Jesus is asking us to do. And don't let anybody tell you any different. That's not the Christian life. It's just not. Salvation is the first thing, not the last thing. Church on Sunday is the first thing, not the last thing. After you've been to the Eucharist, the question is how you can make a Jesus impact on the world as you go out. How you can live as Jesus with these people who are your family. These people are your blood. They're your body. You share the same body, baptism and blood, Eucharist, with all the people in this room. How can you treat them kindly? How can you be respectful? How can you follow the mature? How can you clean up where you're weak? How can you do some good? That's what Jesus is interested in. Jesus isn't interested in, in just you know, showing up on Sundays. And we've, we've, we've mixed it up so badly. The good news about you is you haven't mixed it up. Many of you, you know, our numbers are off the charts in terms of um, the people who are here. I think I told you when we're in the middle of trying to refinance, and one of the bankers said, you know, your giving per capita is off the charts. You know, we have never seen anything like this. You know, per capita, per person who shows up, it's huge. But we still have a long way to go. It should be that way for prayers. It should be that way for giving. It should be that way for mercy. It should be that way for witness. It should be that way for kindness. It should be that way when people come in the door. We're the body of Christ. You're the body of Christ. And so what we're trying to be, the, in every other aspect of life, you know, when you go to the doctor, you want the best doctor. When you go to college, you want the best school. When you teach, you want to be the best teacher. When you coach, you want to be the best coach. You want your team to win the Super Bowl. Everything about it, you want the best. That's the same way you should feel about the church. You want your church to be best, where best means you've given your best effort and service to Christ, that you've shaped everything toward that life. And that's what the church means by maturity. So I give you this um, first bit here. What's the point? This is number one here. What's the point? (coughs) This is right out of Ephesians 4. To mature... To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What's the point? To be like Christ. Full blast. Full stature. If Jesus is 6'1", you can't be 4'8". Full stature. Full Jesus life. Maturity matters. So we may no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine. So when troubles come, you don't let people who are weak or don't know doctrine lead. They can't lead. You know... Growth matters. First line, maturity matters. Second line, growth matters. Rather, speaking the truth in love. You have to be able to do both. You have to say what's true. You can't fudge it. But you have to say it in a way that's loving toward people. Speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way. Grow up in our prayers. Grow up in our worship. Grow up in our life together. Grow up in our giving. Grow up in our witness. Grow up in our serving. Grow up in every way. This is the text. This is what it means to be a Christian. It's not about how many members you can get names on a page. It's about how active, how strong, how loving, how kind your members are. Into him who is the head, into Christ, so you grow into the image of Christ, so that when people see you, they see Christ. That's the point. Christ gave up everything for everybody. That's the life that we're trying to lead together. 
in kindness, or trying to give up everything for everybody, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every joint with which it is supplied, and then get this, find your spot, work your part, spot, when each part is working properly. You're a part, you need to find where you belong, and you need to work properly. This is easy. Some of your spark plugs, you know, some of your cable, some of your tail lights. Figure out what you are, work properly. If you don't work properly, then the whole thing gets messed up. So whatever you're good at, if you're good at greeting people, if you're good at proofing the bulletin, if you're good at making coffee, if you're good at ushering, if you're good at serving at the altar, if you're good at fixed and electrical outlets, if you're good at putting a light in, I got a couple places where we need a light. <laughs> the stairs right out there and the new bookshelves down below. I need somebody who can make the wires spark and then not spark, okay? You're in, Jimmy. See, Marty Johnson, when you're all done, here's your new guy. Come on. That's good, Jimmy. We love you. That's actually the perfect attitude right there. I, I, I think I can do that. Right. Absolutely. Right. So it's, it's, it's all through Scripture. It doesn't matter which one of those you pick. It's everywhere. That's the point. So it's spice. You smell good to others. You're salt. You make everything taste good. You're leaven. You make everything grow. You're the remnant. You do what other people aren't willing to do. It's all over the Scriptures. This is the main point of the Scriptures. We're Lutheran, and justification is the main thing, and that's true. The problem with Lutherans is they forget to say that that's the first thing, not the last thing. Luther didn't talk that way. About every three months, we run you the quote from Luther that says, Faith is a living and an active thing. It does good works before it knows it's doing it. That's in our confessions. It's from Luther. Right? So, what we're looking for is that last line, um, when everything's working properly, it makes bodily growth, and it builds itself up in love. So that's the point. The point is for all of you to have a spot, to work hard. It takes us a little while. You know, this is a new way to think about the church. It takes us a while to find out what everybody's spot is. It takes you a while to figure out what your spot is. It takes a while. You might, you might volunteer to do the lights, but you might find out you're better at, I don't know, doing the plumbing. Uh, you know, it takes us a while. You know, maybe you started something and it's not quite right for you. Then let somebody move you around. Let somebody help you. But in kindness, how can we do that? We're thinking about all of that, believe it or not, when we design the sanctuary, when we look at the service, when we try to figure out what we should do. And, you know, at least today, um, I just want to take up the whole notion of uh, kneeling. So turn to the next page. We did a little of this before. How do we proceed? We think about all this stuff. We think about this before every service. You know, as badly as it bothers you when the microphones don't work or you can't, you can't hear well, um, it bothers us worse, I can just tell you. We can feel it. We can see it in you when you can't understand, when we speak too quickly, when the room is too alive. We're trying to get it you know, all sorted out. We want it to be for you so that we don't get in your way. Our job is to bring you to the altar, give you the gifts, and send you out. And it's best when you don't notice us. You know, it's best when, we're, when, we're just, when your focus is entirely on Christ. That's what's best. Um... That doesn't mean we're not going to wear vestments. That doesn't mean we're not going to use incense. That doesn't mean the music isn't going to be brilliant. That doesn't mean it shouldn't look good. That's the wrong way of thinking about it. The point is that everything ultimately points to Christ. You should come in this morning and say, ah, it's all switched to purple. Why is that? And then Pastor Nelson was kind enough to say to you, because this is really, in some sense, a penitential season, a transformational season where we get ready to welcome Jesus. And how do you get ready? You, you know, think of the biblical images. You sweep out your house. You know, demons are cast out. 
You go to church. You make a sacrifice. You get ready. You stay awake. Gospel for today. Okay? Now, um, <clears throat> how do we do that? The end of the line, of course, is that we always people give people the gospel. And then, <clears throat> this is only one line, but it's terribly important. You get the gospel, which is Jesus Christ bestowed on you as a touch. So the gospel is when Jesus touches you kindly to forgive you and strengthen you and give you his Holy Spirit to illuminate you and, and energize you. That's the gospel. Now, there are all sorts of things that extol the gospel, that talk about the gospel, point to the gospel, the crucifix, the vestments, how you stand, kneel, folding your hands, making the sign of the cross, putting the sign of the cross on you. So there's the gospel and all the things that talk about the gospel, remind you of the gospel, point you to the gospel, and we have all of that in mind when we're thinking about what to do. So let's just take last week. When we say to you, we want kids in rather than out, we're making a statement about the gospel. Because we think kids are important. You know, we think that kids grow up in Christ if they're in the liturgy. And so we're going to indulge a little bit of noise for the payoff of kids who can make the sign of the cross, kids who can repeat the verba, kids who willingly kneel, kids who come and get the Eucharist, kids who will usher early. You know, even kids who will serve at the altar, which is kind of the next thing we've got um, working. It's just going to take a little time now. Okay. I think I might, yeah, electrician or at the altar. That's going to be interesting. <laughs> Where can you do the most good? That's what we got to think about. Jimmy, I love you. You're a good guy. He's a good guy, man. So, and then we talked about pace. How fast do we go? So, and we talked about that once before. I want to go, and this was the great analogy, probably the best analogy there was about how the Marines circled back and get the slow folks. We can't go, I'll just tell you, we can't go at the pace of the fastest people because we'll kill people. But we cannot go at the fa- pace of the slowest people because you never grow. You never grow. If you go at the pace of the slowest, slowest people, that's what we want. We want you to go really fast, but not too much. So we, we're going to go, what we try to do is identify what the pace of the fastest person is. We come off about 20%. And then we circle back and kind of get you. The church, you'd have to look for it in the scripture. I mean, I know that Jesus, you know, we read the great prophecies. Jesus, you know, a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not quench. I get that. Um, but the other side is, is where Jesus says, leave everything and follow me. Don't even bury your parents. Move on. And the pastor's job is to try to find that in any particular congregation. In this congregation, because we want depth, and we know you're not going to live forever, forever, we've got to have a little bit of speed. and We've got to have a little bit of commitment. We've got to have a little bit of discipline. And if you do that, it's like every other area in life. It's like if you're playing on a sports team. It's like if you're studying for an exam at work. Anything. You've got to have some discipline. You've got to have some commitment. You've got to put in some extra work, and it pays off. That's the kind of church we want to be. And it's the pastor's job not to kill you by moving you too fast, but also not to disadvantage you by um, moving too slowly. And that's a hard thing to try to figure out how fast you can go. We get it right, we get it wrong, but we're always trying to evaluate that. Okay? Still good? So that brings you all of that's everything we've done so far. And that's the reason we're doing it. We're trying to do it because of maturity. It's a teaching hospital. We're trying to move you to the point where you can do some good in the world. Okay, you got it? That's what we're trying to do.
So now posture, point four. You all know this, the body affects the mind and the soul. You're one lump. In the Old Testament, you're one lump. Uh, For Hebrews, when Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your mind and heart and soul and strength sometimes, depending on who writes it, he's basically saying, give it all you've got. Okay? So I did, and and you do that because even though sometimes you may um, come and feel bad, you may not be paying attention. You may have had a bad morning. There is a way that bodily movements, exercise, making signs, disciplining yourself can change you. Your body can change your mind. Your body can change your soul. It works the other way, too. Soul can change your body. Soul can change your mind. Those pieces all work together. But why would we neglect the body part? In fact, people are more attuned to their body than anything. I'm stunned now, in a way, but not in a bad way. I'm not... um, I'm stunned that in one sense that yoga is offered as a PE class. I'm stunned in one sense and not another class. Because at bottom, yoga is religious. It's religious posture. It's also great. Uh, I mean, people, yogis can do fantastic things with their bodies. You know, and it'd probably be good for all of you to do a little bit. But, I mean, it's really interesting. That at least, where people are very attuned to that um, because they know that body changes mind and soul. Okay, and you have to. If you do something like that, I'll just tell you. If you do Tai Chi, if you do, if you take yoga, you gotta. You have to tend some other things because things kind of fit together, and you have to just be a critical consumer of that. But your body can change your mind and your soul. It works the other way around. But we're just doing the body. So the first thing is is making the sign of the cross. Now this is indisputable for Lutherans. I mean. The small catechism is what every Lutheran knows, and if you're Lutheran, you know the small catechism. At both places, for morning prayer and evening prayer, Luther's directions are, when you wake up in the morning, make the sign of the cross and say, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. It's just all over the catechism. Every Lutheran, it's the strangest thing when people say, within the last year, I've got a letter from somebody who said, I'm leaving the congregation because you asked us to make the sign of the cross, and we're Lutherans. I'm like, yeah, it's the small catechism. Open up the most Lutheran thing there is. The, small, the problem with Lutherans is, in this day and age, is that none of them ever read Luther. I mean, read Luther. He says, in the morning, you roll out of bed and you make the sign of the cross in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, by the by, just to make the sign of the cross, people do it differently. Of course, they have to do it differently. So, you know, um, Orthodox go one way. Catholics go the other way. An Orthodox priest sometimes mirrors you. So if you're doing it like, if the, if the priest is doing it this way, that means you're doing it this way. You see, there's all kind. here's the thing. That's all just sort of, you know, stuff. You make the sign of the cross. Sometimes you see people, you know, put their hands, you know, in the, in the sign of the cross and make it. Sometimes you just see people put their fingers and thumbs together. Uh, it's nice to look like you know what you're doing. But it's not uh, a matter of salvation, whether or not you, you know, look like everybody else. Basically, all you're doing, it's the same way you learn to write. You take a child's hand and you trace with it. Or you give him a book where he connects the dots. Or you say to her, you know, do this. You know, those swoopy things you used to do in Mrs. Trimpey's class. Remember those things? Somehow Mrs. Trimpey could see out of both eyes in all directions at one time. (laughs) My first grade teacher, very strange, uh, very good. <laughs> exactly right. She always knew what was going on. 
making the sign of the cross is tracing. You make the sign of the cross. You put it on yourself, reminding yourself that you're baptized. I said to you last time, to make the sign of the cross or to have a crucifix really is a um, defense against the demonic. As Chrysostom says, once you're baptized and once you wear the cross, and if you could look around and see everybody in this room who's baptized has a little cross right here. You wear that on your face, and it protects you from the demonic. As Chrysostom says, when the devil comes for you, he has to turn his eyes, and he can never hit you with a full blow. Well, when you do this, you remind yourself that you belong to Christ. You also remind the demons that you belong to Christ. Um, also, this is just by the by, um, sometimes this is just a little aside thing about the demonic. Sometimes people think that um, the demonic, that the demons can, and the devil can read your heart and know your thoughts. That's actually not true. As the scriptures say, the, the heart of man belongs only to God. Only God knows the secrets of the hearts. So until you verbalize something, or until you make an external sign, nobody else knows what it's inside you. I can't read hearts. The demons can't read hearts. Only the Lord can read hearts. So what happens is, when you put the sign of the cross on yourself, you defend yourself against the demonic because you mark yourself as one who belongs to Christ. Make sense? This is all, this is, this is why, so you remind yourself that you belong to Christ, you remind the demons that you belong to Christ, you remind Christ that you belong to Christ, and doing that reminds, changes the way you go out into the world, okay? And it's there in the small catechism. In the morning when you wake up, make the sign of the Holy Cross and say, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the true God, the God who baptized you, the God who took you in the font, the God who resurrected you, the God who wants to use you, Okay? Still good? All right, good. We're on the next page, the number six. And I gave you this. Um, the whole point of the gospel is it needs to get on you. So there you are, and the gospel's over here. So this is just basic stuff. Jesus is not the gospel. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity who in about four weeks is going to take flesh and blood from Mary and walk and talk on earth. Jesus is not the gospel. The gospel heralds Jesus, oiangelion in Greek, the good news, the heralding. Or the gospel is when Jesus gets put on you. So there you are, Jesus is here, and what we do is we put him on you. We bring him into physical contact with you. So in the font, you get the physical contact of water and name. At the Eucharist, you get the physical contact of the body and blood that was on the cross. Now, you need a physicist. If we only need a physicist, Gunter, then we can answer the next question. And also, when people talk, you actually get the... If you could see my words going into Dave's ear, if you could actually see it, you'd actually see a physical thing happening. There's actually physical things moving out of my... Well, they didn't know it then, but they know it now. So even preaching or absolution is sacramental because a physical thing touches you. Okay? So Jesus is not the gospel. Jesus is Jesus. The gospel is any time we take the gospel, the gospel is any time we take Jesus and put it on somebody, that we touch him. So now this makes sense of number six. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless. This is how you bless people. 
Okay? It's, a very, it's, a, it's a very, this is how you do it. If you've got somebody here who needs a blessing, this is how you bless them. You go to them and you say, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. So the Lord turns his face to you in a loving way. He doesn't destroy you, but he looks at you with his face. And his, he, he, he looks at you and he engages you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. So he's not trying to destroy you. He's trying to help you. The Lord lift up his countenance, looks at you eye to eye, and gives you peace. You can tell from somebody's face whether they love you or hate you. It's easy. You just look people in the face. You can tell whether they love you or hate you. It's easy. You know, the eyes really are a window to the soul. The face really is the visage of what lies in the heart. So, so they shall put my name on the people and I will bless them. By speaking the word, you actually take the name of God and you put it on somebody. You put it actually on them. And so we say at a baptism, receive the sign of the Holy Cross, both upon the forehead and upon the heart, to mark you as one redeemed by Christ crucified. You take the name. The name is a tangible thing. You take the name of God and you touch it on somebody. And they're not destroyed. They actually, now they belong to God. That's what happens in baptism. And that's what happens when you bless people. Even people who come to the altar and are not yet baptized... We bless them as the Lord's creation, and we bless them toward um, baptism of the Eucharist. So we say to people, the Lord who made you bless you and protect you and use you well, and then if you know enough about him, you can say, and bring you to holy baptism or bring you to the holy Eucharist. Why? More touch. People need more touch, more gospel. Touch, 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 touch. That's why Jesus takes flesh and blood, so he can touch you. So even if you have friends, I mean, I'll just, you know, the things you learn from, this I learned from Kleinig, who over the years, you know, um, five years ago, we had a long talk about, he would say to people, can I pray for you? And he would run into strangers. He would say, can I pray for you? He would get, um, you know, half the people would say, you could pray for me. But that was sounded, frankly, too religious for a lot of people. And then he began to say to people, may I bless you? And what he found is that almost everybody, almost every pagan, will let you bless them. Why is that? Got any ideas? You got pagan friends. Why would you let them? Why would you let them bless you? Could be they don't put as much stock in it. So it could be maybe nothing's going to happen. What else? Any other ideas? Yes, please. Yeah, there's no downside. Exactly. So if I say, can I bless you, why would you say no? You know, why would you, why would you, for most general people, for most general people who are just sort of vaguely aware that there might be a God somewhere, basically people are thinking, I got nothing or something, I'll take something, right? Now the good news about you is you can go to people and you say, you know, the Lord bless you, the Lord love you, the Lord protect you. I have a friend who, um, an older woman, she's 80-ish or so, Whenever she, we leave her presence, she always hugs us and marks us with the sign of the cross on our back as she hugs us. It is the most endearing thing, you know, because I know what she's doing. It, and it's a very natural thing. She has her arms around you. She simply marks the, the sign of the cross on you. How can you argue with that, right? So I, if you have any aversion to the sign of the cross, um, try to lose it if you can. 
it's the most Lutheran of all things, and it's from forever, and it goes way back. Now, obviously, they didn't have the sign of the cross yet in the bit I gave you here from Numbers, but all of that, did I not give you the... Um, Gosh, I'm sorry, it's number 622. I didn't give you the citation there. That's horrible. Um, it wasn't there yet in Numbers, but uh, it was, it, the Lord's face is most clear in Jesus. As, as the New Testament says, if you see the face of Jesus, you see God himself. Yes, please. Right. Right. What you think, what you say, what you believe. Body, body soul, and spirit, Right. So this was, um, there are several places to make the sign of the cross, and um, I don't think I have the gospel one here. That's a little more foreign to Lutheran types, but it is very common in the church. It's very common to see, have people say um, the Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the 13th chapter, and to see both the priest or the pastor and people make the sign of the Why? Because the gospel is, for what I think, my mind, for what I confess, my mouth, and for my heart, what I believe. Question. Right? Good. Right. Well, he does, he does give the holy name to the priesthood. And so pastors then, and you'll know this next year or the next year when you're a vicar. If you're ever, oh, wrong one, sorry. I can't see from this side. Here's the thing, man. I have to be up close to tell you guys the, the difference. Where's your brother? Here's the thing, man. I just can't. Can you guys, can one of you get like that Mike Tyson tattoo thing? Because I just cannot, you know. I know, but if I can't see your finger, that's exactly right. You could give me the, oh, well, never mind. Uh, I'm sorry. What you can say to people is, Jesus who loves you, bless you, and keep you. There, there are particular formulas that are only given to priests. And, and so when your brother goes on his vicarage, um, if he has a good supervisor, he won't say this at all, but if he does say it, he'll put it in the subjunctive. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord. So what he says is, the difference is that a vicar doesn't speak for Christ. A pastor speaks for Christ. That's what happens when you're ordained. You basically speak for Christ. So um, there are things that Christ gives only a priest or a pastor to say. So a pastor says, I forgive you. Um, um, you would say to somebody, God forgives you. And if the sin is done against you, you'd say, I forgive you. I say, um, in the stead and by the command, I forgive you all your sins in the name of Jesus Christ. If I sinned against you, you would say two things to me. You would say to me, I, you, you would say, I forgive you as a person. And then you would also say, um, God forgives you. But you wouldn't say, I forgive you in the stead and by the command of God. It's not given you to say. That doesn't mean you're, you're bereft of things, though. Okay, That doesn't mean you don't have anything to say. What you say is, God loves you, God bless you, God keep you, um, um, God who created you. You can say that, the God who created you, protect you and use you. Well, you can say all of that stuff. right? So there's actually only a small group of things that only the pastor would say. The pretty broad things you could you could say to people and should say to people, you know, as much as you, they'll possibly hear you. So it's a good question. Thank you very much. It's only when the the things that are restricted for a pastor are only when he says, "I speak for Christ." That's that's given to the office, and then it's not the person that speaks; it's the it's Christ who speaks through the person. Yes, please. You are. 
Yeah, it's a, there's, the last part is very true. There's nothing wrong with saying God bless you, but you're not all members of the priesthood after the way of Melchizedek. That's why Melchizedek is on the pillow where the priest or the pastor kneels and not on the kneelers. So the priesthood, as Luther says, you have to tell the difference between a priest and a pastor. So everybody's a priest, but not everybody's a pastor. And that gets stretched in the Old Testament. You have only the sons of Levi, Aaron, and, the, and, and so Levi are the Cohens in Hebrew, right? They become priesthood. And that's followed then in the New Testament. The, the pastors speak in a way that other people don't. So you're all a priesthood, but you're not all pastors. So you can speak for whatever priesthood, New Testament priesthood speaks. That's not the same as the Old Testament priesthood, only the sons of Levi. And it's not the same as Melchizedek, priesthood from forever, who is a Jesus figure. So there are two separate things, and Luther is very clear about that. He said, just tell the difference between pastors and priests. Yeah, good. Well, you haven't been ordained yet into that. That would be, the, that would, that would be what would be called necessary but not sufficient. So you're, it's possible, but it hasn't happened to you, at least that we know of. You never know. Whoops, things are still possible. No, I'm not. No, I, I just, I, no, actually, you'd have sort of a higher level because you wouldn't, remember when Jesus, when, when God was chosen, he chose the Jews first. So if I'm judging, I'm judging up, not down. Um, you gave me the, you gave me the gospel. There's a, man, Mueller, you are hard. You're a hard man, Mueller. <laughs> You bind up burdens that are hard to bear. Um, so with the sign of the cross, there's a couple of places you can put them. I can actually get these done. At the invocation, because the, 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 um, uh, it's actually being, the name is to be put on you, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. At the creed, uh, the life of the world to come, we regularly make the sign of the cross at anything that talks about helping us get all the way to heaven. So the life of the world to come, that's one where we say, the only way we'll make it is by the cross. Also in the Sanctus, so blessed is he, blessed is he, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I don't know if you ever thought about this. We'll do this when we get back. But we sing the Palm Sunday hymn, blessed is he, blessed is he. We sing that just before the verbal when Jesus is going to appear on the altar. And then after the Lord's Supper, we sing, traditionally in the church, the Nunc Dimittis. Now I can die in peace, the song of Simeon. So that means we saw him. So it's, here he comes, here he comes, here he comes. Then with the words of institution, our Lord Jesus Christ, he's there. And then afterward we say, ah, now let your servant depart in peace according to your will. I saw him. It was great. And that's for all of you. Here he comes. Blessed is he, blessed is he, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, who is Christ who goes to the cross. Um, The gospel is a very good one that you can say, you can actually do this, and you'll see people even in this congregation doing it. The Lord's Prayer, protect us from the evil one. That would be a thing that would interrupt us. And this is where I started. Chrysostom says that's what protects you, that you're baptized, that you wear the cross. Uh, and also people, when people say the body of Christ, anytime you get closest to the holy things, you often see people make the sign of the cross. Or when uh, the bases are loaded two outs on the bottom of the ninth. You see people do <laughs> okay. And at the benediction. Hey, man, if somebody was throwing a ball at my head 96 miles an hour, I would make the sign of the cross, too. Question? A programming note. So that's it for and now. Help us. What do we need to know? 11. Good. Sunday 11. So everything else is correct? Just the 11th is wrong? 
All right, 11th, two weeks he plays the football. Okay, let's pray and let's go. We've got to get the next thing. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you.